Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Good afternoon and welcome to Engage for Success Radio show number 399, the evolution of leadership into approaches which encompass compassion and individualistic approaches. So today we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about compassion and individualistic approaches. I'm Jo Dodds, your host for today. The Engage Success movement is an inclusive movement committed to the idea that there is a better way to work by releasing more of the capability and potential of people at work. We spread the word about employee engagement and shine a light on good practice, inspiring people and workplaces to thrive. We're widely supported across the UK, involving the public, private and third sectors. If you go to our website, engageforsuccess.org, you can use the link at the bottom of the page to join our newsletter list, and all our social media links are there too. And I'd really encourage you to subscribe to this podcast, as you've heard, we're at show number 399. So if you've not listened before, you've got many to catch up on, um, and we publish them every week. So uh, lots more coming for you. And we're booked up till May next year at the moment, so uh, plenty coming along for you. My guest today is Dr. Tracy Leghorn, Chief HR and Health and Safety Officer with Suez Recycling and Recovery UK. So welcome, Tracy. Thanks for joining me. Oh, I can't hear you. Hang on a minute. Try again. Hi. Sorry, I couldn't hear you then for a minute, Jill. Yeah, sorry, I was having a conversation with Joe, the other host, just this afternoon saying, no, I haven't had a problem with the platform for ages until now. <laughs> so welcome. Thanks for joining us. Tell us more about who you are and what you do and about Suez Recycling and Recovery UK. Of course. Uh, and thanks for inviting me to talk with you today. So uh, I'm uh, Tracy Leghorn. I'm the Chief HR and Health and Safety Officer at Suez Recycling and Recovery UK. And for those who haven't heard of Suez before, we are uh, a recycling recovery uh, environmental services organization. We manage over 11 million tons of waste a year, delivering um, innovative and environmentally responsible solutions to manage our customers' waste, whether those customers are from households, local authorities, or uh, industry and commerce. Um, we employ 5,600 people and they work across around uh, 300 plus sites. Wow. <laughs> That's uh, a lot of people on a lot of sites. <laughs> and how long, how long have you been there? Yeah, just three years in August. So I was really uh, absolutely brand new to the waste industry when I joined Sewers. So uh, there's been a lot of learning for me. Yes, yeah, yeah. So we're going to be talking today about the evolution of leadership and about compassion and individualistic approaches. Perhaps start by telling us uh, a bit about your thoughts on leaders and, and how people sort of become leaders. Are they, are they born? Are they created? What do you think on that, on that debate, <laughs> ongoing debate? Yeah. Yeah, and I think it is a debate uh, and one that, you know, probably should have over a gin or something. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I think for me, some individuals, uh, you know, are born with natural tendencies towards leadership. 
Um, but people are born with natural tendencies towards lots of different things and different aspects of their character. Socialization informs uh, you know, what people become to a certain extent as well. So we, we can't discount that. And mm. I think really for leadership, there are, you know, it is about uh, qualities and capabilities that can be developed. As human beings, everything we do is about learning from others, from studying, from past experience. So for those with a growth mindset, uh, our aim is to grow and to get better at doing things. Um, life is really is it anything more than trial and error. We learn from getting things wrong and from getting things right. So for me, I don't think leadership is that anything different from that, and we can get mm. better and better at it. Yeah, yeah. I think for me, it's also sort of situational as well. I mean, I think all of us can be great leaders in one place and then go somewhere else or have a different thing happen uh, and and struggle with that with that until as you say we've sort of learned and, and evolved with that experience Is, would you agree with that I think leadership sits with culture um, leadership yeah. can drive culture but culture can also drive leadership and yeah. I think there's a skill that can be learned again around actually being able to be put into a variety of situations and being able to navigate yourself around those situations. Mm. I think if you consider, you know, the other debate that's often had, whether you can change industries, whether you can move from a public sector career to a private sector career, you know, how much that sort of knowledge of the industry or sector is. Actually, I think people can move between those different areas and different sectors. If there's someone that, you know, can be agile, is adaptable, and can, you know, be put into an environment and uh, look around within that environment and be able to understand how you can best operate in it. So I think that situational leadership, you know, is a skill that's, you know, really helpful for people who, you know, do like to, to move around and experience different sectors in their careers. Mm, mm. Just as you said that, I thought, oh, yes, because there was a whole thing around that, wasn't there, in the, I don't know, it's probably the 90s, wasn't it? Situational Leadership Series or something. Was that Ken Blanchard? I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah, I think <laughs> right. Um, so let's talk a bit about how leadership has changed over well I mean that you know that's a, a sort of a little in, entry into it there's, there's always sort of um, gurus and theories and styles and uh, and so on um, you know man, I don't know how long we'd say leadership has been around the whole time we've had people in the world I guess but in terms of sort of business leadership I guess um, you know hundreds and so odd years how, how have things changed do you think what what uh, sort of characteristics have been different throughout that time well it's certainly you know a complex area for discussion I mean the whole myriad of books and views on of leadership you know reflect that really but yeah. leadership if we think about the teachings of it uh, during the sort of 20th century, they focused on directive, autocratic, you know, that uh, top-down mm -hmm. management. 
the boss was expected to know the answers or at least what to do. He, and it was usually a he for most of the yeah. period, would tell people what to do and employees on the whole did what they were told. But with changing uh, changes and technology becoming really constant, leaders in the last sort of part of the 20th century and certainly more in the 21st century have needed to understand the impact of what's happening around them, around things like technology uh, and how that impacts the business and have had to become more adaptable as a result of that. And this mm. in my driven a shift away from that autocratic leadership style of the 20th century and towards the more agile, collaborative, you know, a human approach and leaders are becoming more people orientated than task orientated. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the 21st century sort of leadership is, is therefore very different than what it was, you know, a century uh, ago. Indeed, probably a lot more different than it was even 20 or 30 years ago. We're moving from hard skills being replaced by soft skills. If you think about education, that's moving from really being faculty-centric to being student-centric. So we're becoming more responsible for our own development and our own leadership style as they evolve now into a more softer focus of leadership. And actually, that is becoming much more acceptable. Um, but it is yeah. a challenge for global leaders. The other yeah. thing that's important to bring into this is about society and how the views of society have changed. I mean, businesses don't exist in a vacuum. And so, you know, we need to be mindful of what's happening, not just for us as leaders, not just for us within a business, but for us within and our businesses within a society and how they operate. And certainly, mm. I think what I've learned at Sewers is just how important actually that social responsibility is to uh, to society. Yeah, yeah. And how how have things sort of developed on in the last sort of eighteen months since we've had the the pandemic? I mean, one of the things that I was talking to somebody about earlier today was how. I'm looking at sort of responses now as we're starting to sort of un unlock and, and sort of move forward and how there's such a, a diverse perspective from the, the senior leaders in terms of what's going to happen next. Um, but also we've had examples, of, of, as you've said, the, the, the sort of different type of leadership across the world, even looking at leadership of countries and so on. Tell, tell us a bit more of your thoughts about how the last sort of 18 months has has impacted leadership? To do that, really, we've got to look at, you know, what are the essential leadership skills for the 21st century and think about some of that. Vision mm -hmm. remains a foundation of leadership. It's indispensable uh, with regards to uh, leadership. Once you have that, then you need to cultivate that vision and create really the courage, the capability and the capacity to execute that. More focus in recent years around relationships and collaboration, both internally and externally, and real focus in that respect on customers. Uh, and our customers have become much more discerning, as I sort of alluded to a second ago. 
And you think then about, well, how do you create value? How do you create value in that organization as individuals, as teams, as a business? Well, it's no longer about how long we work or how hard we work. It's much more based on outcomes. More importantly, it's based on customer's judgment. Uh, and often um, the modern way of thinking really uh, assesses that based on you know, how easy your business is for customers to work with, to do business with. And then, you know, you move into, well, what's management and what part is that playing in that? Well, it's vital uh, in respect to leadership. There are those who say effective leaders are effective managers and effective managers are effective leaders. I'm not quite sure whether that is the case, um, but certainly with new ways of working, managers need to develop the skills to effectively lead you know, people in new ways of working and to lead them in new ways as well. And one of those things is to listen uh, more and to observe more. Uh, so not instructing, but sitting back and listening and observing their people, valuing their contribution. And people talk about the fact that we should be listening and observing with real intensity. You know, perhaps the intensity of a neurosurgeon um, you know, listening is a master skill. And is asking questions. Um, and leaders more often now try to refrain from answering, uh, much more having coaching sort of style approach. And of course, when you move into that type of leadership, you need to be able to influence. So that again, becomes a core skill, a core success factor to that. And I think what's important, and again, it's been really, really important during the pandemic, is to recognize that communication is part of everything. You can't delegate communication. You can't outsource it. You as a leader are the message. And I think lots of people and organizations during the last 18 months have really been looking at their leaders uh, and, you know, assessing what... Um, what that organization means and stands for from the action of leaders within it much more perhaps than ever before. We know that you know, we've got up to sort of four generations of people uh, working at the moment. And so there's quite a myriad of views um, and expectations. And we, you know, we've got to be able to open your mind, you know, to look at actually what future generations are are wanting, and that can be difficult in organisations where, you know, the workforce is perhaps older. I mean, certainly within Suez UK, we've got lots of people that have been working with us, you know, for literally decades, and it's very important that we, you know, bring that young mindset in. And, you know, for it to be a little bit disruptive, uh, so to speak, with regards to helping our organization evolve. And that then brings me to really that agility. And it's a word that's been used a lot in the last 18 months. And for me, agility is not about flexible working. It's not about where work is done. It's, it's much more beyond that. You know, it's about how tasks are configured into, uh, into roles uh, and how work is undertaken across the organization uh, in a system thinking type of way. So mm -hmm. I think 
all that was there before the pandemic. And what's the pandemic brought to us? Well, the pandemic has, has opened up people as individuals, and we've shared parts of our lives that you know, we didn't share previously. And I'm not sure we can go back to the way things were, or that we should. I think this is something that's very positive from the pandemic and you know, should be enduring afterwards. And that's where you know, my thoughts around compassionate leadership and individualistic approaches to management and leadership, you know, come into play, really. Um, I think when you think about compassion, uh, a lot of the work around compassion was born from uh, health services and the NHS and the work of the King's Fund, etc. cetera. Uh, and I think, you know, we look at the definition of compassion in um, a dictionary, you know, it's very much towards actually helping people who are suffering. Um, but actually it means something above and beyond that in a leadership space. So for instance, if we think about, you know, a couple of quotes around that, uh, compassionate leadership is about uh, paying close attention to all the people that you lead, understanding the situations that they're facing and responding empathetically uh, and taking thoughtful and appropriate action to help. I think we can all connect with that and think, well, actually, do you know, that's the type of organization, the type of leadership, the type of manager that I would, would want to have. Compassionate leadership also, you know, plays actually to, to openness and honesty. Um, so it's about creating the conditions that allow you to actually have tough and honest conversations um, and to be open uh, to that. And when you can create that environment where you, you can be absolutely honest, then that helps uh, open up creativity uh, and focus more on innovation and change management and high performance. And that's where compassionate leadership really brings about value in an organisation. And how can we sort of encourage that to happen? I mean, I'm just reflecting on you know, as I said earlier, some of the sort of senior managers have come out and said, you know, um, everyone must come back to the office or, um, you know, this is the only way that we can work. And you sort of, you look at them and they're, they're sort of a bit, as you've said, they're the often the older generation um, who think there's, a, you know, only one way of doing something. But also I, I think they're taking their own experience and applying that to the whole organisation rather than thinking about asking for opinions and all, all that sort of thing. How do we get those people to to have a different perspective? Because there are quite a few, aren't they, that have come out in the in the media and basically said, you know, as soon as we can, we're all back in the office. That's the only way we can operate. And yet there's mm -hmm. a many that are the opposite. And they, you know, I, I saw a lovely uh, letter from the, um, I think it was the chief executive of Capital One last week, basically saying, you know, we're going to work in a hybrid way. We don't know what that looks like yet, but we're going to keep talking to you and we'll see where that goes sort of thing. And it was just such a contrast to some of the others that have been reported. It's difficult. Um, you know, I mean, I wouldn't want to comment about individual organisations or individual leaders, but clearly as human beings, sometimes, you know, we are subjective. Um, yeah. Question is, you know, what is right for you know, the various and different organizations. 
I know, you know, several organisations came out quite early and said, you know, you could have absolute free choice uh, as to where you work. And as you're saying, you know, some have said, well, actually, there isn't any choice. We want you back in the office. You know, I think the middle ground is where things need to be. I mm-hmm. I think it is about, to a certain extent, asking people how and where they work best. But it's also mm-hmm. about, I think we've got to think about the culture within organisations and what makes them successful. And, you know, we've just been talking there, and I've just been saying, you know, a potted history of 120 years of, of leadership since the, you know, the turn of the 20th century. We've only, yeah. it feels like it might be more than a year and a half, but we've actually had less than a year and a half working in this different way and in this different model. So I think, you know, last year, you know, decisions were being made actually on one or two months worth of new working when actually we, we haven't really got enough information, enough data, uh, and enough, enough understanding of it to say, well, actually, does this make make it the model, you know, for the future? Um, and some organisations, of course, have people who remote working is not is not viable for them and won't ever be viable for them. You know, we've got four thousand people who have been out there on our site. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. You know, and on our streets, um, doing their job. And so you've got to balance up their needs with people yeah. who are home working as well. Yeah, yeah. And I guess it's it's well, there's, there's more of the you know sucking and see that we've been doing for the last eighteen months, I guess, as we as we sort of start to move forwards and sort of adjust accordingly. It just it just feels like. I was, again, saying to somebody earlier talking about this sort of stuff that things have evolved so much over the last however many years, even, you know, just since I started working in the sort of um, space. But um, we also seem to still be talking about the same issues when it comes to leadership often. Um, so sometimes you feel like you've gone, you know, far, and other times it doesn't feel like we've moved at all. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think... This is, you know, hybrid working, remote working, office working. It's going to be a debate that that goes on for a little while yet. But the Mm. most important thing is to create an environment where your people can thrive. And the challenge for leadership is actually creating that environment, creating that um, sense of connection. Uh, when actually you've got people who are working in very different ways in very different locations and and how do you keep them all connected with each other and the organization I know that we when we did a survey last year and we were asking people about how they were uh, coping uh, working at home how they were feeling about that and the impact of it you know what they were saying was actually I'm talking to my manager a lot more than I talked to him before. Mm-hmm. I'm talking to my team members you know, regularly enough, and that's helpful. But what they were saying was, but I'm not actually breaking down those sort of boundaries and borders and talking to you 
other teams in the organization, perhaps in the way that I was before, and I'm not quite as connected with the customer. And those you know, latter two domains there are really important ones uh, for mm. business as well. So it is about finding that blend that works for your individual organization. Yes, yeah. And one of the things I know that you advocate for is around gender equality and, and inclusion. Um, there's been lots of, um, again, sort of media reporting that the pandemic has been particularly difficult for many women with homeschooling and, and seemingly taking on more of the sort of home challenges whilst con- trying to continue uh, working as well. Do you think this has been sort of helpful or a hindrance in terms of equality and inclusion moving forward? On the face of it, one would think that it's been helpful. One would think that it can create opportunities for women. And I absolutely do think that is the case. But there are some areas that we need to keep a line of sight on in respect to that. Women, um, young people, uh, they have been disproportionately affected by the pandemic. You know, more women have lost their jobs um, than men. And when we think about childcare, I'd like to think in my research, you know, my doctorate research was about women and work and motherhood. And, you know, we were moving to a position where fathers or, you know, partners were doing a a lot more uh, with regards to shared parenting. Uh, So not childcare, because we can pay for that, but around actually joint 50-50 sharing of uh, child rearing. And the pandemic evidence is there to substantiate that actually the clock has gone back with regards to that. And women were very much taking on more of that responsibility for childcare during the pandemic than their husbands, even if their husbands or partners were working at at home as well. So we've got to be really careful around that because taking and having the majority of the child rearing responsibility hugely impacts careers, hugely mm. impacts The other thing that I suppose you know, is of concern to me, but not insurmountable, is that you know, if uh, individuals are given free choice, more women than men may choose, particularly now that they're, they're doing more of the child rearing themselves again, may choose to work at home. And if jobs start to be created that are more attuned to home working and more attuned to the workplace, and those at home are of less value than those in the workplace, then we could have a situation where, again, we are turning the clock in the wrong direction with regards to women's emancipation uh, and their career potential moving forward. So it is incumbent upon HR directors and organisations to ensure that they have a line of sight on these things and that, you know, as women and uh, you and I today, you know, raise the profile uh, and have the discussion around these issues so women can make informed decisions. Yeah, yeah. I I really hope that it's encouraged um, more men to think about 
flexibility and, and actually take up some of the options that are available because they've seen, you know, they've, they've, I don't know, my husband being an example, you know, he, he's at home till five o'clock and then he's, he's free. Whereas before he'd have to travel home or, or whatever sort of thing. So, you know, there's, I mean, he's perhaps not a great example because he, he, he doesn't go away or anything for his job anyway. But, you know, some hopefully some men have had an opportunity to actually be there when they wouldn't normally be and actually then want to make a change to what they do to try and make more of those times happen, if you like. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, there's not, you know, the, the human beings are very different. So it's, it's very hard when you start to talk in generalizations. And I'm sure yeah. there are a lot men out there and I see lots of stories on LinkedIn from men who are saying well actually I don't want to go back to being you know the father that I was previously I want to be more present I want to be more involved and and that is fantastic because ultimately as women we haven't got a choice uh, because um, you know we're often reliant on our partner's position and view in order for us to then uh, pick up um, what's left, yeah. so to, which is generally the majority. So, yeah. you know, it's yeah. an interesting dynamic and we be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Thank you so much, Tracy. It's been great talking to you today. It's gone uh, by in a flash as usual, but thanks for, for joining us. No problem. Thanks very much. And just to let you know, next week, Joe Moffat's back and she's got a special show for our 400th show and she's interviewing Josh Bursin, who's a global research analyst, public speaker and advisor on the topics of corporate human resources, talent management, recruiting, leadership, technology and the intersection between work and life. And now we're talking about the importance of the employee voice. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.